0: Hello and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Hi, and welcome to Wealthy Woman Lawyer. I'm here today with a really good friend of mine, Sean Carol Sandy, Sean and I met a number of years ago, and uh, she is the founder of The Selling Agency. And she helps uh, businesses really uh, with skills building and uh, train their team, everybody from the receptionist to the CEO in how to create a sales organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm really happy to have her to, to, here, here today. Um, Sean, I remember I'm going to jump in and ask you to tell us something about yourself, but I just want to let everybody know like how we've known each other. Uh, a few years ago, we had a mutual friend and the three of us got together for a, our own retreat in Memphis. We just decided, we're just going to have an, a retreat between the three of us. We're all kind of in marketing and sales and, and business and growing business. And uh, our friend was uh, into corporate training. And of course, uh, Sean does the selling, it has the selling agency. And I was just starting out in this coaching practice and shifting from being a full time attorney to um, getting into the coaching world. And so we just had the most fun and amazing retreat. The three of us got together in Memphis where Sean lives and we got an Airbnb. And I just remember it was like really cold and rainy that weekend, but it was great because we had the most awesome Airbnb and we just like <laughs> snuggied up and the three of us. Helped each other um, Mm -hmm. come up with plans, growth plans for our business. So we've been doing this a long time this growth plan for business thing, you know? And what was so awesome about that is we all came from three very different approaches Mm -hmm. to what we were doing in marketing and sales. Um you you remember that? You remember how often that was?
1: <laughs> I do. It was so much fun. I, I I think we called it an an advance, not a retreat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, The, the the Airbnb was so cute and it was just, you know, it it was awesome, awesome to get out of your own way, right? You To to move yourself to a different location. I live here. Y'all gotta come to my house. I mean, I think you were there for yeah. a night or whatever. Yeah. But um, it was it's it's just so good to get out of your own four Department. walls, your box, right, and, and get fresh perspective. Physically, you get a fresh perspective when you move to a different location. Uh, and then to, you know, to to kick the can down the road with other people that are fun but have different backgrounds and trying to achieve different things, that was so much fun. I'd love to do that again. I'd love yeah, to do that. Yeah, I know. Me too. we, <laughs> we should we'll build do a that. Retreat. Yeah, <laughs> we should build a retreat for, you know – yeah, that's what we
0: need. That'd be awesome. And we had the most amazing food, too, because that's one thing, you know, if you get girls together for yeah. a weekend like that, there's going to be good food and good beverages to go with the food. So it was really <laughs> awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, good
0: so I invited you here today because I really uh, you're just amazing at sales. You this is your this is her wheelhouse, people. Um, and so I really wanted. You to share with us um, some how we can become better at sales in our businesses. And I know with attorneys, attorneys, a lot of attorneys think sales, sale, is a four-letter word, mm-hmm. selling. You know, and sure. and they have a lot of negative associations with that. Yeah. But I wanted to bring you in for your expertise because you have a lot of experience in sales, and not only sales but teaching business owners of mm-hmm you know, million dollar, multi-million dollar, billion dollar businesses, how to train their organization. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first and your background so we can get an idea about that.
1: I would love to. Thank you. Uh, I I think I'm going to start with my methodology and sort of the ethos behind that. Uh, The reason I built the selling agency was after having you know, career in sales and many different um, facets and capacities from retail business to general manager and and real estate and advertising, all sorts of stuff. You know, I, I was looking for what I want to do next. I realized that one of the things that made me so successful as an individual contributor and sales leader was the way I went to market, so to speak, and, and that in every endeavor of selling to my customers, the end result was to help them sell to their customers, like help your customers get more customers. So, you know, I didn't want, I have a lot of my tendencies with messaging and um, creativity lean towards marketing. And, but I didn't want to create a marketing agency. So I'm like, I'll build a selling agency. <laughs> and, and, and it was really. And a, and, a t- and a name for the company was Borg. <laughs> and it was. Yeah. Yes. and, It was born from the idea that I've taken a lot of sales training. Um, I've, you know, and many companies have been through a lot of their sales training. Here's what this looks like. Oh, you know, we're going to, we're going to have this guest trainer and he just wrote a book and here's his methodology. And if everyone does it, it'll, everyone be successful. And it's a bunch of crap. What a load of bullshit. It wasn't novel. The only thing they'd sold in 15 years was their own freaking book. (laughs) And the idea that everyone goes to market in the same way from an individual point of view and from a business point of view is just really dangerous. Um, I've made a whole living on going, oh, this is what everyone's doing. I'm going to go over there and fish in a different pond, use different bait, use different, you know, whatever, because we get really, um, you know, we get really lumped in the same categories, what like zebras. Zebras have stripes because for they're in a herd for safety. And if you put the same stripes on as your competitor, how does anyone know how you're different or why they should choose you? So that's why I built the selling agency. It was to help companies build smarter, go-to-market strategies. And then with that, we teach, whether it's the business owner or the sales team, how to execute that strategy. And we build skills around that. So my goal is, yes, we might deliver training um, that uh, talks about how to the skills of messaging and communication, but everyone's at a different skill level. Everyone needs to bring their own personal genius to this. So our goal is not that everyone does the same thing. It's that everyone advances their skill level incrementally. Incremental advances are where you get growth. And then on the back end of that, we, I do skills gap coaching for individual sales team members. So that's what we do and why we do it. How we do it comes from a you know a, a, a an ethos that selling is the first opportunity you have to help someone. Selling is a service. I, I think of that. Your sales process. If you are not helping someone in your sales process, then you know then that that's that it's going to feel unauthentic on the buyer's end. So if we can help people make decisions, if we can help enlighten them, inform them, if we can. Um, you know, let them understand why we're different than the competitors. That's value. And your job as a seller, everyone's in sales. Yes. Is to help people. And that's way different than saying you're going to push your product or service down someone's throat. It is our sales process builds steps where you bring value and you help people at every, at every, uh, uh, turn. So, for people that you know when you say you know when everyone says everyone's in sales we're like ah i don't mean sales we're bringing our own baggage to the party of yeah. being sold to shittily um, we coach humans how to sell to other humans because selling like a zombie sucks no one wants to be hit with the same messages and being pushed or manipulated by closing techniques all that all that garbage was old 20 years ago and so a fresh approach is to consider a mindset shift in that selling as a service in your sales process and how you position yourself, how you offer, it needs to be valuable and helpful to help people make decisions. And the decision of course we want is that they choose you, that the people that are a good match for you, that you've pre-qualified and that are a good fit for your service and your price range, et cetera, that that's the funnel you help them down. You help them realize they're a great match for you so that you're not hard closing anyone. It's just a matter of an organic conclusion. Right.
0: Right. Um, I, you know, that our audience is made up of women law firm owners. And um, I know you have had a a tremendous amount of experience with a lot of different businesses. I watched, do you ever watch the profit with Marcus Limonis, the (laughs) profit Okay. I love Marcus Limonis founder of camping world uh, RV sales, you know, Um, and he has a show and he goes around and he helps struggling businesses all over. One thing I noticed about Marcus Limonis is, show is the businesses he helps have a product they mm-hmm. are retailers of some kind and so he uh, you know in watching that as a service-based professional my whole career has been in services it's been mm-hmm. marketing selling right. services so i've worked with engineering companies and law firms and everything and there is there is a, a distinct difference in two because when you're selling a product you could point to the thing you can go, you know, here's my glasses cleaner and this is awesome because it has all these benefits. You know, if I do that, then they'll, you know, it's very easy. It's very quick. And my glasses will never be smudged. Right. So you have your, your thing, but when you're in the service based business, one of the things that I think a lot of law firm owners struggle with is that it feels so personal. It feels like it's me. Like I'm sitting here trying to convince you to hire me. Mm -hmm. And I know that part of that, one of the things I share with clients is that first of all, you're conflating it. You have a firm and then you have you. Even if if you're a solo, you still have a firm and you have you. They're two different things. They're not the same. Mm -hmm. But what do you say to people in service businesses that struggle with this idea of, you know, it's so hard to sell because I feel like I'm trying to talk them into liking me.
1: You know,
0: whatever.
1: Yeah, I I think it's you got to let's flip it and think that I am not trying to sell me. Um, The reason I'm having this conversation with someone is because they have a problem they cannot solve themselves. Um, I have something that they need similar to a product. And that's my expertise, my experience, my insight. Now, the way you sell it and people might buy from you because of the way you are the package of what they need. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the big, the big mindset shift might be that um, it, they have a problem that they cannot solve themselves. And you have the solutions to that problem. Um, you have gone to law school and you've built your business and you've been down in the trenches. You've, you know, you have your expertise, you have a team behind you. And if they could solve it themselves, they wouldn't need you. And a lot of people try to solve it themselves. And where does then that they really from? need you? <laughs> then they, right, then they really need <laughs> you. All right. So, you know, I, I kind of boil down um selling selling services or even products, really services, whether it's um uh, uh like a skill trade like accounting or legal services or consulting or technology software platform, that kind of stuff. But people need you to either diagnose the problem and then provide the solution or people need to need you to provide the solution or people need you to provide the solution better than their current solution. (laughs) So there's really only three reasons people show up to to buy something from you. Mm -hmm. And if you, you know, work to understand what that reason is, maybe they don't know exactly what their problem is. You become the consultant. Um, If people need a solution and they're evaluating different solutions, then you need to understand that we show up and really dial down into the differences in our solution. If people have a solution, but they're not happy with it, that's why they're seeking you. Then like the last one, we need to understand what they don't like and then how to position ourselves is different to that. So if you kind of make it really simple and think about that versus people buying, you know, just you, I think that maybe makes it easier. Right, right. And so a couple of
0: things come to mind. One is that um, from a... A standpoint well I interviewed I interviewed someone for a podcast who was a shopper a, a shopper of law firms mm-hmm. and she was a marketing advisor and what she would do is she would go into the different all the different law firms up and down the street and she would hear their pitches so she would like pose as a client not a problem and then she would go back to her client and you know ask them well how are you different what are your differentiators and they would be like you know everybody up and down the street was saying the same thing and as, a, as an attorney, you don't realize that because you think you've come up with something really clever when right. you say, you know, compassionate in the boardroom, aggressive in the courtroom or, or something like that. And and she, you know, named off some phrases and everyone we zeal- zealously represent our clients, right? <laughs> and, and, I, and do you find with clients that part of their sales struggle is sometimes that they don't even know They don't know their why they don't know their differentiators. They don't know how to articulate what it is that they're selling in a way that's different.
1: Right. And, and I think that, um, so here's, I'm going to do two things. Remind me of the second one, uh, which I've already forgotten. The first thing is, I'm trying to remember my second question that I've got already. (laughs) So, so the first thing is, um, It's important to know that, yes, everyone says the same thing and thinks that they have something really great because everyone is going way too broad in who they think that they're trying to speak to. Most everything is way too broad. Um, You know, you and I were talking about Sally Hogshead before and, you know, how to fascinate. And one of the things that I just that landed with me so strongly seven, eight years ago, whenever I first read her book was that. If you are not polarizing anyone, you are not fascinating anyone. If you are, if if you are positioning yourself as, you know, I, we do everything or we can service everyone, you know, and everyone else does that, then no one can define anything special about you. One of the things that's funny is when I talk to businesses, I say, I'm going to slap this phrase out of your hand. If I sit anywhere on your website or any of your sales and marketing materials, you are not a one-stop shop for shits. You are not.
0: Just <laughs> you that didn't phrase. build this from the ground up out of your garage. <laughs> right, right.
1: Yeah, yeah. One-stop shop. Let me just put this into perspective. You know, you can buy lipstick, motor oil, uh, and uh, bras at Walmart. But are they really good lipstick, motor oil, or bras? No, we have specialty stores for those because when you want something really quality, good fit, you go to the specialty. That's convenience, right? Mm -hmm. You're not a convenience store. You can buy Mm -hmm. shampoo in a convenience store, but Davina, I know you. Would you? (laughs) In in a gas station? No. No, no. So one of the problems with not necessarily knowing how to differentiate yourself is going way too broad. It's going too broad. You really want to paint. People are afraid that they're going to miss potential clients. They're going to miss some of that market if I don't open my arms up and show people that I will take anyone and everyone. But uh-huh. if you if you go too broad in who you service and what you do, you don't have a, a discernible POV point of view or stance or um, aesthetic, then no one finds you fascinating. And this was the second point, because how we make decisions, okay, I've got... Um, I have, I have two red pens, right? Uh Um, If I need a red pen, that's great. I've got a red pen, but how we make decisions isn't, you know, great. I'm going to line up all the red pens and they're all alike. That helps make a decision. We make decisions by the differences. We make decisions by narrowing things down by differences. This is a fine point. This is a Sharpie. Okay. I don't need a fine point. I need a Sharpie. So we look for the differences. If you cannot show people through stories and marketing your personality if you cannot show people how you're different then you're not going to attract people that would match really really well with you because they they're attracted to your differences
0: right right that is great advice that is great advice and i i think that a lot of attorneys struggle with differences because they think well you know it's uh we help people get divorced and there's a million attorneys out there who help people get divorced. Um, how are we different? Right. And, right. and they're saying, you know, we're not that different, right. But, but your difference when you're, when you're small is the difference is you. Right. And then as you grow your firm, it may be your team or your processes or your procedures or your use of technology. There are all kinds of things. It doesn't mean that there are no other attorneys in the world, right. who use technology to be more, you know, efficient and, Get your work done faster, or, or you know, whatever. Um, but that could be a differentiator on your street, in right. your geographic, in your market. You
1: know. You know. I think one one area that might be helpful to think about when you're looking at differences and building your um, building your your marketing story and your your brand around differences. Not necessarily what makes you different, but how how do you make people feel differently than? other attorneys, right? So focus on your, your customer, your client. Um, it's, you know, what are they feeling during this experience? And then reflecting on how you empathetically understand that and work to navigate or, um, you know, negotiate some of those feelings on there, whatever it is. But, you know, I would think outside of corporate um, stuff, even for small businesses needing corporate counsel or whatever, everything you guys are dealing with is really gonna be personal. Estates, mm. wills, um, you know, divorce, prenuptial, whatever it is, those are all really personal things. You don't have to market yourself necessarily personally there, but how do you show that you understand what that person is going through in a way that's empathetic and reflective of how the, they'll feel? And that could be your difference. Right. And a key thing that
0: you teach in from in the selling agency is you really teach your clients how it's not just the company owner, or not just the sales team, if you're working with, you know, organization with sales team, but it is really that culture and that experience that you want to create from the very first interaction with your business Mm -hmm. all the way through to conclusion and continuing relationship, right? So you're you're talking about creating a sales organization. Can a law firm create a sales organization?
1: Absolutely. Anyone. And we call it a selling organization because... Mm -hmm. I really get specific about this too. There is a reason I'm not the sales agency. I'm the selling agency because sales is the name of the department and sales is the end result. Selling is what you do to get there. Yeah. Okay. So, so building a selling. So organization. we're wanting
0: everybody on the, in your organization to uh, ABC, ABS, always. always be selling instead of always, exactly. be, always be selling. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I, I, I call this building a selling organization in that when you build a selling organization. You equip everyone in your organization to, to have the tools, the uh, you empower them to be able to recognize opportunities, advance opportunities, prevent disasters, what they're part of the, that end result, right. And selling clients, closing clients, keeping happy clients, getting clients to refer you. Everyone has an opportunity. And so I think I gave you this visual. I, I you know, you, if you employ four people or 40 people in your organization, you're a boat, right? Think of yourselves as a boat. You're trying to row your boat across the water to get to that revenue site. <laughs> and why would you, you know, have other people in your boat that you'll give them life jackets? Like giving someone a job is giving them a life jacket if they have a salary and they have a benefits and vacation, 401k, a safe place to work every day, air conditioning, grid you're giving them a life jacket. Yeah. If you give them a life jacket, you better give them an or <laughs> why would you not equip them to be able to help row your boat? But yeah. so many people don't, you know, whether an organization like I've been in many sales organizations uh, where you have your sales department and we were responsible for bringing in new business and revenue. And then we had a production department where they did the thing, they built the thing, they ran the thing, that we brought in, the business we brought in. And man, they just invented new ways to screw shit up. Well, it didn't come out of their paycheck, but they weren't on board with rowing. They were putting holes in my boat.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I understand exactly what you mean. And, I, and there is nothing. I have hired, it's suddenly getting very dark in here where I am, so I, my face is oh, glowing man. now. Uh, I have hired way more attorneys than I ever thought I would hire in my adult life for all kinds of different legal matters. And there has been nothing more frustrating, uh, whatever organization you're in, but for for law firms, I see this all the time. When the lawyer's great, but everybody around them is like, you know, yeah, we can't be bothered with you, yeah. right? They have no idea. They're very protective of the lawyer, but they treat the clients like crap because the client, and that's a lot of culture that comes from the owner of the firm. Who's saying, I want you to protect me because I'm so, you know, I don't, I'm so busy and up to here. And so I want to be protective. And so you create this culture of protection around you and you have just trained all of your people to repel, to repel your clients and go and refer somebody else. And that's where your one-star review is going to come from. (laughs) And you won't ever, you won't know it. You won't know it. No. Because well, well, of course, your staff's not going to tell you.
1: <laughs> no, no. Well, I, I mean, you know, people won't nec- won't always tell your staff they suck, but they'll tell everyone else. They'll they'll get on, you know, all the different. We outsource other people's ap- experiences now, right? That's what Yelp and Tripadvisor, um, Angie's List, Amazon, all the reviews. When we go check those reviews, we are outsourcing other people's experiences before we make decisions. So that's a natural segue to building a selling organization is purposely designing the client or customer experience. So it's that actually could be your differentiating factor. And in so many instances I is know. why is Chick-fil-A so damn great. Cause you always have a great experience. The food's good. The service is great and you expect yeah. that. And so, but they very purposely design that experience. And so few businesses do. I tell you right now, if you design your customer experience, or your client experience, which we love, personally love doing this. Yes. Every touch point, every touch point, and everyone in your organization is on board with delivering that experience and advancing that customer or client relationship. That will send you head over, head over tails above your competition, head over right. tails above your competition. And I'll tell you that too, that the way I sort of started putting this together many, many years ago was I was in my husband's office. He's an optometrist. Um, you know, your eyeglass doctor. Yeah. So I was sitting there waiting to go to lunch with him and, um, you know, chit chatting with the receptionist and, and a woman came in and his receptionist goes, Oh, Hey, cause that's what, that's what she does. Oh, Hey girl. And, <laughs> and you're in Memphis. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, and they, she recognized someone as she had worked for, they'd both worked for a dermatologist many years ago. Um, his receptionist moved on to, to his office. This receptionist moved on. She goes, where are you right now? So I'm at so-and-so clinic and, and she asked, Tiffany asked, oh, do they do Dermoplay too? And she responded with, you know, I don't know. I just do the billing. So if you have employees in your boat that don't recognize those questions as opportunities to participate in the health of the financial you know, institution that gives them a paycheck, that is so sad. It was so sad that she didn't jump in and say, Yeah, you know, blah, 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 and Susan does it best or whatever, you should go see her. That yeah. was a and you're give her card,
0: you know. Yeah. And it happens
1: yeah. all day, every day. But you know, for law firms, the people that answer your phone that take inbound inquiries to the people who schedule things, every touch point can be a memorable, positive experience. And then on the backside equipping people to handle. Um, you know, the negative experiences and and know that they they have the power to turn something around or advance or whatever, that's building a selling organization. And it is a shifting culture and it is so important. And I firmly believe that, especially post COVID, businesses that understand how to deliver an experience to make people feel special or feel wanted and loved will be the ones that rise to the top. And you're gonna see more businesses that can't cover, recover um, from the pandemic loss of business because they were never really special to begin with. How do you like that?
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think with technology being the way that so many law firms now are really leveraging technology because we're working remotely and we're working with right. distributed teams and we're doing because of COVID and a lot, and I, I don't think there's a lot of going back from that. I think people are going to really start to see how awesome that is. Not everybody, but some. And we don't know how long it's going to be where I mean r- literally court hearings are happening in yeah. Zoom. And one of the challenges of that is how to still create that warm hug. Right. You know, that when we can't physically give it and how we need to to you know teach our everyone on our team to be able to deliver that feeling of we care about you and we care about your problem. We're taking right. this problem on. Yeah. Um and so what kinds of what kinds of ways are you seeing? Are you seeing with technology that sort of shift happening um, where people are trying to figure out how to sell through a Zoom call or you know, have consults and and get people converted?
1: Yeah, I think that if if the, if the core tenet of helping people is, remains the same, then the technologies are just enablers, right? And how you do that. Yeah. If your goal is, if, if that's not been your core tenant, then technology is not necessarily going to add anything to the conversation. It could be something as simple as, like I wrote um, about this a couple of weeks ago. I received a notification from a company that, was, that my product that I'd ordered was going to ship. And it came from customer love at so and so. They cared enough to, you know, name this customer love. And we all like to see things that you know are about ready to be shipped. But that was just a really teeny tiny touch point that shows that they love their customers. Um, you can do it in many different ways. Companies that were not very good at um, service and showing people, you know, giving people a positive experience in person probably aren't going to be that great at with technology. Yeah. And yeah. And so, and I'm going to say this too. Technology, um, (laughs) before you invest in something, think through at what touch point does this provide positive experience to my clients or customers? At what point is this beneficial to them? Does it make things harder for the customer or client, or does it make things easier? Because who loves calling someplace and you get a phone tree? great piece of technology for the business, I want to murder the phone tree when I get it. (laughs) Right. You know, are you putting barriers in the way or are you making it easier? Like might be like the the chat bots, right? Yeah. Are you putting a a chat bot there to increase an interaction or enhance an interaction? So thinking about, um, you know we've, we've always you know gravitating to new technology to you know scale business and scale our practice and improve things but what i what i think is really important is does it add to the experience and also am i using this in the new paradigm of customer experience i'll give you an example I'll talk about video i just did this with my mastermind today talking about using video in our sales process and how i train sellers to leverage video in their sales process well I, I have a lot of colleagues that are, um, you know, they sold through their 80s, or through the you know, 1980s and 90s. And, you know, they're, 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 they've been doing this for a really long time. And they're like, yes, I'll embrace video in the sales process, but I need a script and I need editing and I need it. And I'm like, the way people consume video now is different than the, what you're talking about producing. You know, you're yeah. talking about using a new technology within an old paradigm you know, yeah, yeah. super scripted, controlled reading, you know, like go read a blog, right? Using video in the new paradigm, how people consume video is they want to feel like it's a one-on-one experience. They want yeah. that candid, Spontaneous. That, yeah. Right. They, they want that stream of conscious thinking, those insights and stuff like that. That's the way people want to consume it. And that's the way you need to use your sales process. So it's just, you know, you can... Technology can add a lot of things, but is it enhancing the experience? Is it making people easier to choose us? Um, Are we leveraging technology in a new business paradigm to meet our customers or clients where they are?
0: Yeah, I guess uh, part of what sparked that question when I was thinking about is, you know, uh, a shortcut. You may think you have a good sales organization because your receptionist always greets people and puts them in the conference room and offers them something to drink. And he got snacks on the conference table, and I know many law firms who are like that, you know. And it feels, you know, all warm and fuzzy. Of course, now we can't, we can't do that. So that can't be, you know. That's one thing that's sort of taken away from us. So I've right. just started looking at and started thinking about how we can keep the our distinct culture when we have so many of the uh, the ability to have the niceties, you know. Right. Are taken away from us. It's, it's it really, it's a cheat, you know, it's a little cheat thing that you do right. you're like, here, I'm going to usher them in and give them a snack because everybody loves food. Well, we can't do right. that now. We can't drop off donuts or whatever.
1: So that one, may, that's what made me spark that question. Uh, well, but uh, go ahead. Well, as you say, you know, what, what was special about the interaction isn't necessarily the snacks. You may have really good snacks, but it's that um, that you were thinking about them, that they might be hungry or that they might appreciate this artisan basket of muffins from whatever, whatever. Right. Yeah. So how, if, if, if you're missing those experiences, think about how you could translate those. So in that instance, I'm just going to give you an example. It could be that the receptionist because that's the person who would greet them. What if for every, you know, new appointment, um, now this is going to take a lot for you know reader receptionists, but this is the difference maker, right? What if reader receptionists recorded a quick video that says, "Hey Davina, you know, reminder you your appointment at so and so, whatever, and here's what you do whenever you either get here, or here's how you log in. Let me know if you have any questions." So that accomplishes a couple different things. They've met another face, right? You have another thread through which they're tied to your organization. They feel special because it's a customized thing from them and it tells them what to do. So, you know, you can automate that. Appointment reminders are great. What if it was an appointment reminder and you don't have to make it custom? What if she, it's just your receptionist reminding people of their appointment? You know, Yeah, that's awesome. You know what I love
0: about that suggestion? Um, That is very doable. Uh, What I love about that suggestion is that it's not, you're not saying that the attorney has to do it because that's one of the things when you own the law firm and people start saying, you know, you do this, you do that. You the you know if you haven't made that mindset shift yet, uh, which a lot of a lot of women law firm owners haven't because they're they're in that growing process, um, they immediately think I have to do it. Right. I have to send out the I have to create that's one more thing I have to do and I'm not doing that right, but it's not. You can use other people on your team. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the missed opportunities, I see a lot is uh, paralegals. Uh, attorneys, instead of assigning right from the get-go, this is the paralegal that's assigned and she's your customer care, you know, special. you know, she's the one who's going to take care of you. Uh, right. If I'm not available, she's your first go-to. And then if she needs to talk to me and that's going to save you money, it's going to get answers to you more quickly. And so there's all sorts of ways that we can leverage our team yeah. to help us. And, but it's very important. There are two things that are important. One is the mindset of everybody on your team. And the other is the skills training that yeah. like what you yeah. talk about, right? Because it's not, yeah. it's not so easy to just people, we, aren't, we don't come out of the womb knowing how to, you know, <laughs> have, and yeah. some people are more, have more um, social skills than others, mm-hmm. you know, just to, depending on how you're brought up and who you're around and stuff like that. So how do you take people, because I know you've dealt with this in all kinds of organizations, how do you take people who are, you know, they're just doers. They got their job and this is the box, their job, and they're this is what they do. How do you take a person like that who's very myopic and help them to become a salesperson for your organization?
1: Right. So I, I think that there's a couple of different things. You you there is no I'm like I said, with the, the fascination advantage stuff, there is no one way and, you know, appreciating that everyone's going to have a different zone of genius that they can work in is, is good. Um, You know, understanding where somebody shines and what, you know, maybe having that conversation around a culture shift that we're going to be 100% client focused on building an experience that they that they they think about they recall they tell their people about how can we do that let's let's do sort of an inventory and think about what everyone can contribute to the process so it's not this is where people think oh my god we have to sell it's not necessarily making everyone into little mini salespeople. it's about leveraging um you know people the different touch points in the positions. In a way that can advance opportunities or help create the experience. So, if you've got someone who isn't necessarily gregarious or outgoing or um, social, whatever, have a conversation with them about what it is they feel like they could contribute to the process, or at what touch point um, would they feel comfortable? You know, bringing people into the process is huge. You know, yeah. people fear that they're going to be made into little sales—you know—sales sales soldiers, and that's not even the point, right? It's about building an experience to recognize opportunities, problems, situations to where you can deliver experience or advance opportunities or keep disaster from happening. So
0: it's all about clients, it's all about your clients feeling like everybody there cares about them, knows who they are, yeah. knows yeah. their you know, their the basic problem they have and they're trying to you know, help them solve it. I I yes. and that that I can see, you know, I think that's a wonderful idea about bringing people into the process and asking them to contribute. What do you think? So if you had somebody like that, something as simple as you're in charge of, you know, sending out this email at this juncture right. or something, it doesn't even have to be, and it could be a, a pre-prepared email. So they're, if they're, if they don't have regular client interaction, something I want to, this is my, I had this question in my mind, like, you know, okay. 20 minutes ago. So I'm going to bring it now. When we, when uh, an attorney, one of the things that you mentioned is the importance of serving, and how how we come from. If we come from a place of I'm going to help this person solve their problem, that is a whole different mindset than saying I'm going to sell them my legal services. And by the end of the day, they're signing up before they leave here to you know for me to be their personal injury lawyer. You know, right? As opposed to saying you know, what is the problem and helping with the problem. I want to address this though, because attorneys are, I mean, there's different types of attorneys, but a lot of attorneys are very caring people and they come, they're very mission driven. They're like, mm-hmm. you know, nurses, they really care about people and they're drawn to it, maybe because of something that's happened in their own life or something and, it's, and yeah. they've seen, and people get taken advantage of in the legal system. And they want to be that support for people. So I want us to be very clear about that because I think in initial conversations, one of the issues that attorneys have, and I'm always trying to get them to stop doing, is uh, being the advisor in the meeting and being, and jumping right into giving legal advice to people right. who have not yet hired you. And I'm sure you've seen this in many different organizations Oh, yeah. are trying to they're immediately trying to solve a problem for somebody that hasn't even hired them yet. Consultants. I mean, we face that and coaches face that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. What kinds of things do you recommend? We talk about in consultations, sales meetings, sales conversations, what I always tell attorneys that you, there are two different agendas for the sales conversation. There's the client's agenda is I want to get as much free legal information as I can get out of this person (laughs) And I want to make sure that I've got enough information, I can decide whether or not to hire them. And the attorney's job is to assess whether or not this is a client in a case right. that you want to take. And there's a lot of different factors in that, right? But if you go into it and you think your agenda and the client's agenda is the same, that's really going to be a stumbling block. So how do you tell people to kind of structure these types of conversations? Yeah. You know, the what, the why, but not the how, you know, the how yeah. is hire me,
1: right? <laughs> Well, so I think that, um, I want to, I want to back up to the serving part of this because I think this will answer the question. So in serving our clients and, and your, your sales process and in the way you, um, meet pitch, propose, et cetera, our, our goal in serving isn't necessarily to prove that we can help them. I want to serve them in the way that I help them make decisions about whether I am the right fit to help them. So it's, it's not quite, I want to show them, right. Or it's my serving them through my sales process is helping them make decisions about whether we're a good fit. Not necessarily that I need to sell myself and show and, and provide free value. Nope. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you, you know, I, 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 I completely understand that because, and, and, you know, when I meet with clients about what's, what's not working with my sales team, you know, I could tell them what I, I could look out here and know exactly what the problem is, but I'm not going to, how do I do that without telling them that that, I, that the pro I know what the problem is um, versus having them identify that I know what the problem is and I have the solution. That's a very right, right. That is huge. So in that service, um, like I said, it might be that um, they don't know they have a problem, they haven't identified the problem, or they need to identify the solution, or they need a solution that's different what they already have. My way of figuring that out is by asking lots of questions. I'm not going to tell them anything, but I'm going to ask them questions and position my questions in a way that leverages me as the answer. Um, so I'll give you an example, like, um, uh, you know, asking someone, well, so, you know, tell me why you think you're not hitting your sales goals or tell me, you know, tell me where you think the problem lies so they can tell me. And then that, that drives me to the next question. Next question. I think people mistake, um, selling as talking. Um, selling is really about listening. And you got your attorneys should be great at this, especially if you're litigators. Right. About, you know, should be asking those
0: leading questions. Yeah, right? You should be able yeah. to ask a leading question, people. <laughs> yeah, it's right. We have to questions. be, we have to ask those leading questions without, you know, going, <laughs> Yes,
1: yes. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's asking the questions about the problem and why they have the problem and you know how the problem maybe came about and what they're thinking about doing about the problem that that knows and you need to be pre-qualifying them right it's not you don't want to sell to everybody like almost right. making yourself the service here is to understand whether you're a good fit for them whether you want to take them on as a client um so instead right. of how you solve that problem so ask more questions about How'd you come to this problem and what makes you think that I might be a good fit? And where do you think the solution lies so that you can cue yourself up as having the answers without giving away the the answers and the value.
0: It's so interesting. You said that uh, one of the, I was listening to uh, somebody that I, uh, an older gentleman who was uh, teaching up uh, as an attorney, been practicing for years. And he was really wonderful at teaching the uh, consultation skills. And he was talking about, um, his process leads him to, you know, a point where he says, okay, well, I'm willing to take your case. Right. So he's positioned himself as Mm -hmm. the diamond, you know, here's, here's the, here's the thing you want to have. Right. And I was reflecting on that and I was uh, thinking about women and girls and how we grow up. I had this conversation with one of my best friends about how when we're young, we're hitting that, you know, 12, 13 year old age. We uh, girls are just, you see it in, in when we had movie theaters, uh, people lined up at the movie theaters and or we would go as kids to the movie theaters and the girls would be just moving, puttin' f- with their hair and giggling, making lots of noise, making a lot of motion. And you see the guys just standing there with their hands in their pockets. And girls always wanna be picked. We wanna be picked. We want everybody to pick us. We want everybody to like us. We want all the boys to think we're awesome. It doesn't mean we like all the boys, but if somebody picks us, you know, we may wind up going out with somebody just because they picked us. Right. And we never stop to ask ourselves, well, do I even pick them? Would I even do I really even like them? Or is it just that they're the cool guy in school and they picked me. And so therefore it makes me feel special. And I think we, uh, and uh, this is a generalization. I always get in trouble when we talk about generalizations, but it's a broad generalization. Um, but um, it's been a shared experience with so many women that I've spoken with and we don't really stop and think, and that's really kind of the way it is with clients. When we start out in business and we start growing our business, we get so caught up in, we want everyone to pick us, mm-hmm. pick me, pick right. me, pick me. Like we just, and even, even if we think we're getting, you know, oh, I figured out who my ideal client is and da 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 but still when somebody walks in the door and maybe they're less than ideal, we're still going, pick me, pick me, pick me. Right. And we don't ever stop to think, do I want them? Mm -hmm. And a sales conversation trick that I learned from a, uh, I use the word trick, but technique that I learned from a uh, somebody who is a coaching person. She says, when people start getting into, like you've gone through the whole thing and then they make it about, they raise an objection, they make it about money because they can't make a decision today and they don't want to make a decision today. So then they start turning on you with the laser focus and they're like, well, how, how experienced are you really? What do you really know? Really? And she says, I always turn that around and I start making them prove why I should take them on. Yeah. I start asking those questions that turn it and say, well, why should I have you as a client? Why, Mm -hmm. why, why would you be a good fit to work with me? I mean, Mm-hmm. What it, you know, and so she asks, starts asking these questions. And I find that very fascinating because I think that's where so many of us get into trouble with a whole bunch of clients that then later we're complaining about. As soon as we take right. the money, we're happy to get the money. And then next week, we're on a social forum in a group chat group complaining to other attorneys about some awful client
1: yeah.
0: that we couldn't, we were like killing ourselves
1: to get them to sign up. And that's the worst thing ever, right? Yeah, I think, you know, so much of what you described is, is being conditioned, programmed, I think it's both biological, as well as um, society nurtured, <laughs> coming from a place of scarcity.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: if you think about, um, you know, men, this, this, this is really crazy. This is a biological thing. Men can have as many children as they want, right? Women, hey. you know, we 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 don't. We have a window, we have a runway. So that biological yeah, yeah. pick me, pick me. I think some of it comes from there. But also I think that, you know, for many, many years in, in sort of patriarchal societies, we're conditioned to think that um, to to fight over this, you know, a slice of freaking pie. Instead mm-hmm. of thinking, I'm gonna go make a bigger badass pie. We're gonna fight over the same piece of we're pie. We're gonna make lots more pie. Yeah, yeah. So it's really easy to see, even if you're, you know, a, a, like I said, a badass mama jamma. When you look around and everyone else has a scarcity mindset of competing for what we think are little clients or what the few clients out there or whatever, that's where a lot of that stuff comes from. Is taking clients that are not great fits. I will tell you every darn time I have taken on work or a client. Uh, work that wasn't necessarily a great fit. I didn't I knew in my gut I didn't want to do it, or a client that was a pain in my ass, I've regretted it. Hands down. Hands yes, down every yes, time. Yes,
0: yes, no matter pain what. The, the and ass. I will tell you, I will tell you, every time I allow someone's money story to become my money story, and I reduce my fee because I I so want to help, I so see what the problem is and <sighs> want to help them every time I make that exception. Yep. I pay the price for it in missed payments. I pay the price for it in lack of commitment to the program. Yeah. I I pay the price because the, you know they they aren't ready. They aren't ready. They aren't a good fit for me. They aren't where I am. And I so I see that. Uh, and I think you know with attorneys certainly I did that when I had my law practice when I first opened my practice. And we just feel like you know, we're there to serve everybody. First of all, we got to help everybody. That's the nurturing sort of thing in us. And then the other thing is, and then there's a bit of an ego. I tell my clients, I said, it's it's a bit narcissistic to think you're the only solution. And I've been, there. I'm like not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm pointing fingers at me. Like it's a bit narcissistic to and say, I am the best, The oh, I'm the only solution for this mm-hmm. person, or, you know, they've got to and that's not the case for every person out there. It's not the case for every client out there, every potential client. There are some clients that are much better suited to go down the street to somebody, even if they have a lot of money. Because when you let them go, energetically, you create space for your ideal client. And that, and my business has become so much happier and joyful when oh. I learned that lesson. It took me forever. But learning that lesson, I'm like, wow, this is so much, I don't feel trained. After I talk to my clients, I feel energized. And it's the same thing if you're dealing with, I'm helping clients solve problems, you're helping clients solve problems. And when you're a lawyer, you're helping clients solve problems. But what you have to do is get in that space where I'm being paid to help them solve a problem. It's not my problem. you know. Like I'm paid to help them solve their legal problem, but not their problems that require therapy. Right. (laughs)
1: Not their money problems, not their personal problems. Oh, right, yeah.
0: exactly. I'm not their bank. I don't have to be their bank. I can go to their <laughs> banker, you know, those kinds of things. Right. So uh-huh. um, I want to talk a little bit before we wrap up, if you have a little bit of time <laughs> here, I don't know if you have to go. Um, I want to talk about uh, objections that come up for, because everybody, you know, we all hear these kinds of objections, no matter what kind of business you have, uh, you'll hear, Money objections, uh, time objections, and I have to talk to someone, my spouse, ex, whoever, objections. Mm -hmm. We know psychologically, we've been doing this for a long time, that those are all stalling tactics most Mm -hmm. of the time. Now, it's not to say every now and then you won't have somebody that's, you know, has to go talk to their husband because he's the one who's got the money and they didn't bring him to the meeting or whatever. But um, how do you help help your clients overcome objections. What kind of, you know, mindset do you teach them to get into? And what kind of tips do you have for us on that?
1: I get real giddy. This is one of my favorite things.
0: Yay, good. It's one of my favorite things to I discuss too. I love
1: this. And I've done a ton of, of work and uh, testing and real life experience on this stuff. And so there's a, I'm going to take it through A couple key points of um what I call pushback and uh, objection uh training, pushback objection, negotiation training. And the the first thing is to understand whether something is pushback or an objection. And then negotiation is a little bit different. But so pushback is it's a knee-jerk reaction. When you ask somebody something, they're not ready, they might be like, I need so some of the the things you hear like, uh, well, I can't do it today. I need to talk to so it might just be a knee-jerk reaction, whereas they're programmed to not make decisions around money. They're programmed to not make decisions quickly around money. They're programmed to not feel confident. They don't trust themselves to make a decision. So it's never about you. Oh, but it <laughs> is. It always feels like it's about me. <laughs> oh, it is. And here's why. When 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 we encounter a situation where we get pushback or uh, an objection or someone wants to negotiate, Here's what's happening. Our brain immediately recognizes that as conflict with a potential negative outcome. So, man, who comes in real fast? Our fight or flight system. Uh, our, Our senses go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we have to exit this conversation. Everyone does it on both ends of the conversation. We go into fight or flight, which takes us out of our slow, rational thinking and puts us into fast thinking. And whenever we come up into that conflict situation, we want to find the closest exit and exit that conversation. So it might be, okay, fine. Okay, I'll call you back later. Or, okay, I'll drop my price, whatever. So one of the keys is understanding um, what, you know, reflecting on what are the most common pushbacks? Is that a knee-jerk reaction? Or is it a true objection? How do I figure out if it's a true objection? And what am I going to do? The most common mistakes around this are not anticipating that there will be pushback objections or negotiation. Mm -hmm. If you don't plan for it and you don't prepare for it and practice for it, you're going to be bad at it. (laughs) I can guarantee you that. So, yeah. so that's one of the common mistakes. I'm going to list off a couple of them because that's these will allude to how we fix it. The second is thinking about everything as a winning sort of a winning mindset. I need to close this deal. I need to, um, I need to hold my price. I need to win the negotiation. And you know, people smell that, and that's one of the things that turns people most off about being sold is when they feel like you want to win. So, so many times, um, you've heard the terms overcoming objections and how do you you know, reboot, rebut those what well, it, it creates almost an adversarial response. And then you definitely have put the defensive uh, motions up for the, your, the person you're with. So and we're instead, lawyers.
0: So that's yeah, great. yeah.
1: Yeah. So thinking instead of thinking as winning or losing, it's, it's think about finding solutions together. And the solution might be that I'm not a right fit for you. The solution might be that I don't want you as on my client roster. Right? All right. The next problem is People rush to resolve pushback or objection or negotiation. Your brain is going, exit the situation, find the nearest exit, you know, like alarm bells are going off. And so we have to stay calm and cool. Don't hurry and ask more questions. Here's where salespeople kill me at this. Sellers are really bad about this. I have more salespeople that will launch the negotiation process on an inference when, when it's not even their job to start, like they start negotiating their own price before the client starts to do that. I'm oh, yes. Good.
0: Yes. Like, like going right into going, yes. we have payment plans and we have, and if you do this, you're going to get a discount. And I've had so, so many attorney clients do that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So if I, you know, if you said to me, well, Sean, this seems really high. And then I start either defending my price or telling you how we can make it better, or dear Lord, talk about discount. I'm going to slap that out of people's hands. You, and I have launched the negotiation process. All the client did was naturally make an, an inference or um, um, what's the opposite of the opposite on the other side of inference. That's what I'm looking for. I inferred you. I don't
0: know what, what you're I'm looking for.
1: <laughs> you, you are inferring that they want a discount or that they have a problem with it. They haven't even said it out loud. Trust me. If they do that, they don't want to be in a conflict situation any more than you do. Ask them a question and let them be the one on the emotional defensive. Yeah. So if they say, well, Sean, this seems really high. I can go into one, a whole technique say, all you have to do, all you have to do is repeat back their last words, Tim with a slight inflection like the question really high. And wow. then let them do the backpedaling and it, invariably they'll, they'll back themselves out of the conversation. So all you have to do is like make it sound like it's a question and then they will either start explaining or they will backpedal because they're going to participate in the social contract. Now it's on them. Don't launch the negotiation process.
0: That is wonderful advice. So this is what this is what people are doing. We're launching the negotiation process and yeah. we made them think that we, they can negotiate with our fees or with our time commitment or with our you know level of service or whatever yeah. that's that's a that's a wonderful uh, insight
1: and if they can't come straight out and say your price is too high or your fees are too high I want a discount then don't do it for them <laughs> yeah yeah exactly they fact, don't I, be-
0: this was one of my this is one of my early mistakes I have had many sales conversations where it gets just uncomfortable. You just feel like you're about to boil alive inside because somebody yeah. is, somebody is because it, I, it, when you haven't made that separation, you feel like the person is questioning your value. And what yeah. is the, what is the most awful thing is when somebody says, I don't question your value, but you know, this is too much, but yeah. it's too I can't afford it. I don't right. question your value, but I can't afford it is very common. Um, and then with, you know, with attorneys, it's often, uh, well, that's way more than I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah. you know, And, and the, the, that part of that mistake with, you know, someone making a statement like, well, you're too high, or um, that's a lot of money. And then you are, you know, you're launching the negotiation process is you're focusing on the wrong thing. So at that juncture, once you kind of push that back on them to explain, um, shift it from a cost or a price conversation to value what is really important and and i want to show you just a a way to shift your mindset around this too is cost and price are two different things the cost of something and your fees are two different things so a lot of people will get hung up on on the seller point of view if you're if you have services that you want to sell to someone um of what 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 that price point is right but Cost and, and price, people, when they object to it, that's just an alignment mechanism. They want to understand, is what I'm going to pay aligned with the value of what I appreciate it for? It's just an alignment mechanism. And having that mindset to think if someone is challenging your fees, if someone is saying you're too high, um, they're not you know personally attacking your value. They have to do some internal alignment to make sure that what they pay is aligned with what they value. So that is a huge shift. And it's also their problem. <laughs> it's 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 their problem if they can't align that to do business with you. It's not your job to align it with them. You don't need to. So what, what happens is people start spewing, well, here's here's why I'm valuable. Here's my experience, whatever. You go on sort of the emotional defensive and start lobbying up your value instead of you can flip it and have the potential client spell it out for you. So I'll give you an example of like, um, someone says, well, you know, you're, you're, this is way more than what I thought it would be. Um, you know, you're really, you're, you're, you cost a lot of money. So you can flip it with a simple question and say, why do you think some people pay that? Yeah. And so you, now they're going to do the selling for you and they're going to line up all the things you can see what they value about you and say, okay, well, are those things important to you? And you've now taken the burden off of you to prove your worth, to prove your value and put it back on them. Right. Right. There's so much work. There's so much work that can be done around this, you know, the mindset shift both objections and um, uh, uh, pushback and then negotiation that makes converting people in the end so much easier. It's not necessarily about manipulation, it's about them selling themselves on the idea and them closing the deal, and instead of letting everything linger out there like hanging chads.
0: Right, right, hanging chads. That's a nice Florida reference <laughs> from a few years back. I love it. Um, since we're in the election season, uh, <laughs> as we're recording this, the um, I had a boss who used to say you know, I worked for an engineering firm, and he used to say. Um, don't give them a Cadillac if they all they want to buy is a Ford and not nothing against Fords. Um, right. But, but, you know, there is a big difference between, you know, a Ford Focus and a Cadillac caddy. And yeah. oftentimes I, I think uh, attorneys feel an obligation to help, you know, they buy into stories that people have about why they can't afford and I can't. And one of the things that I know to be true is that we don't really know. First of all, people lie and sometimes they don't mean to lie, but they do. But we don't really know what resources they have available to them. Um, and they may have resources that they may have a mother-in-law who will loan them money or, you know, a grandmother who's waiting there to help them or or whatever. So we don't know. And we when we start getting into negotiation over our fees, because we that means that we are making a prejudgment about something, somebody that right. we just met, we don't know anything about their life right. and we're looking at it we're going, well, they can't afford me. And the, the truth of the matter is, if they truly can't afford you, there are other options available to them. Sure. It doesn't have to yeah. be you.
1: Your, you know? Yeah, your fees are about your firm. Your fees are about what, what business structure, what makes sense for you, about the profit margins that you design. Um, that's your business decision. So I I think that we—it's really this is where things get muddy. But having an understanding about that, our fees are set because of our firm's business decision, our firm's business infrastructure. Now, what what something costs to someone is is how is aligned with their personal value. You know, price and cost are two different things. I'll give you an example to think about this. When you talk about your fees, are about your firm. So say I'm a manufacturing um, company and, you know, my neighboring manufacturing companies that this has just been acquired and this facility has become obsolete and they're selling off stuff. They just built this, they just bought this new machine that does this really cool thing and it increases production capacity by hundred percent. They paid hundred grand for it and they're going to sell it to me for 25 grand. And that is a fabulous price, fantastic price. But the cost to me is too high to afford it because I don't I you know I don't have the room, I don't have the square footage for it. I'd have to put in another electrical panel. I don't have the the manpower to run the thing. I you know, I can't overcome the cost, even though it's a fantastic price. Right. So right. separating cost, price, and value and understanding how you build your fees versus what someone infers um, from, from your fees or how they feel about it is kind of like, you got to work at that, work at that, whatever work you need to do, talk to somebody about it. I know you've got some really strong training around money stories, right? Yeah. Well,
0: and it's interesting because, uh, you brought up a very good point that you become much more confident and, and, you know, willing to create a boundary around your fees when you have done the homework and you understand what it takes to run your business and make it profitable. So if right. you say, I need to, I this business needs to make X number of dollars for me to be able to hire two attorneys, three paralegals, a legal assistant receptionist, me and, and get me a 30 to 40% profit after I've taken my salary and they've all taken their salaries, we've fed everybody, right? and we have money allocated toward marketing for future growth. So you have an assessment that you have to go through. And I think a lot of times we, you know, when when you're new in the business, when you're a few years in, even five, six, I mean, I do a lot of work with people who've been in practice for 10 years. Well, they may have been in practice longer and they started their firm and their, their own firm for a few years. And so they're, you know, mid six figures, and they want to get over the, the million dollar mark. And they've just been working 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 taking everybody that comes in charging 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 and they may have done a little bit of selection over time but have they ever sat down and said this is what it costs to run this business and make money you know and you when you have one way to really um, get you honed in on that is to is to start studying what investors look for so you know investor you won't have we don't have investors in law firms usually um but that may be changing because some states are now allowing non-attorneys to actually own law firms. Um, Very scary, just very scary for attorneys, Um, but great offer business opportunity if you know how to leverage it. Um, And so we have to start looking at our businesses in a more clinical way and saying, what does it actually cost? Because what we're thinking is, is it's arbitrary. And if it's arbitrary in our mind, then the person sitting in front of you, even they, even though they don't know for certain that it's arbitrary, you're giving off arbitrary vibes. Yeah. When you enter into negotiation about your fees, but if you have done all the work and you know what you require to get something done, it's just mm-hmm. not negotiable because no, then you're just like, this is what it, this is what it costs me to run the firm, so it's not negotiable, right? So right. this and is, if,
1: I, I need to make this fee, right? And it's almost like, um making it impersonal like it's, it's just a thing it's our business fee it's not who my personal value it's our business fee yeah. um, it, this is a story for as attorneys you all appreciate this right you what's your job right you you leverage and negotiate whatever so I put I, I put together a proposal for a client to um, for a year-long intensive um, sales training and, and put me on retainer for his uh, firm as a uh, recruiting firm and you know this is our I hate, great client four years down the road. Like he, we, I keep increasing every year. And so the first year I put this proposal in front of him and he's, he reviewed the proposal and I'm sitting there and, you know, he didn't really have any questions. So then he said, so I guess this is here. This here is where we negotiate. And I just leaned in and said, I don't negotiate. <laughs> and he just sat there for a minute. What's he going to say? <laughs> he said okay, I'll sign. Don't hurt me. <laughs> I love that. I and, love and I that. said to him, what kind of sales trainer do you think I'd be if I negotiated with you or caved? That would be terrible. I don't, <laughs> your, your people don't need to do it. That's what I'm teaching them not to do. Yeah, so
0: That's excellent. That is yeah. excellent. I don't negotiate. You and I've had okay. a similar conversation. Uh, when we talked about, uh, people using someone else who's not in the room as an excuse for not making a decision in the moment about something. So they come to you with a legal problem but then they're out when you name the fee that's shocking to them that they have mm-hmm. sticker shock because it conflicts with their money beliefs. Right. Um, their response is, well I have to check with my ex. Right. Know, it could be a spouse, it can be a, a, you know their parent, it can be, whatever. I have to talk mm-hmm. to somebody else who's not here in this meeting. And, um, and you and I, of course, have really strong beliefs about women saying I have to talk to my husband first <laughs> What is right, your response right. to that. When I say to you, I have to talk to my husband first, Sean. Uh, you have to talk to your husband. Uh, yeah. I have to talk to my husband about this because you know, it's a lot of money.
1: So do you see what I did right there? Yeah. I repeated the last thing. And then you felt the need to elaborate, right? Right, a, right, right. It's a very subtle way of having, of gathering more information, right? right. That that mirroring technique. Yeah. So, so so, tell me your response again, oh, because it's a lot of money. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's because
0: it's a lot of money. So we, you know, I, I consult him about, you know, it's a lot of money. So we're gonna talk about that.
1: Okay. What is it that you think he would want to know?
0: Well, you know, he's going to want to know. I want to explain to him why I want to hire you. I really want to hire you. But, you know, I, I really need to explain it to him so that, you know, we're on the same page. We talk to each other about anything over, you know, a certain amount. And so I just, you know, feel like I need to do that. It sounds like
1: you have a very strong relationship. Oh, yes. Yes. We're very close. We're partners in everything. So how does he feel about the conversation we're having today?
0: Oh, well, he, know, he knows that I was going to come and talk with you about this. I've told him that I've been wanting to hire you for a long time and I really need to do that because we need to take care of this. Um, so he he said that, you know, it was good that I was having the conversation, but I really need to talk with him about, you know, the money because, you know, we share finances and, you know, so something I need to discuss.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I don't know that I would, conf- I, I don't, I, I'm trying to think of in, in a very nice way, how I would tell her that um, <clears throat> I don't necessarily think that I want your husband as a client. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it might be so, you know, so, so should we go down this road to, you know, would I be dealing with your husband or you?
0: Uh, well, you know, it's, it's my business and I need legal help with my business. He's not a partner in it, but you know, uh, I just, you
1: know, he's, he's somebody I trust. Sure. Sure. Right. Well, I appreciate that she two have a very close relationship. Uh, but I will tell you, I will only deal with the person who signs the contract. And in this instance, you know, we're looking for someone who's pretty decisive. So I don't know that this is going to be a good fit because you and I, as we do have this conversation, if, if that's the case and you, you drill down and they really need to talk to their husband you're never going to get her to answer or do anything or respond or do anything this without dragging her husband in it. And that's just how much billable time do you waste? Uh, That's that you can't even bill because she has to ask her husband or bring her husband into it. You have to re-explain things to her husband. I would hard pass. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it is. It's an interesting thing. You and I have had this conversation before, uh, you know, in the years we've known each other. Uh, It's an interesting thing because I have, you know, both of us have worked with male clients and female clients, and business owners. And invariably, when I'm working with men, they say, "Which credit card do you want?" or "Where do I sign?" Exactly. or "What do you?" And with I have so many women who are strong, independent, feminist women who are out there making decisions in their business, and uh, maybe they need to hire a business attorney. And they're sitting there and they're talking. And really, what's going on is we know that we know that we just talked for an hour, the likelihood of your client leaving you and going home and explaining to a spouse, what you talked about mm-hmm. completely and clearly is going to be nil right there because there's so much that you covered. And so that the, the, the experience is going to be different. The spouse is going to go, well, that's a lot of money. and they're not going to understand. And so it's a difference when somebody's already made the decision. One of the things I do with people is I ask them, um, is this, if this, if this is something that you want, is this something that you want? Because the conversation with your spouse is going to be totally different if you've already decided than if you haven't already decided. So it sounds like to me, you haven't decided that this is really what you want. Is this really what you want? And I, I go into that conversation Uh, My temptation though is, and you and I have talked about this because we're both really like crazy feminists uh, and, and just business people, you know, we think about like business people. And I remember a time in my life when I would use that excuse Mm -hmm. to get me up from the table because I was not confident in my ability to make decisions. Right. And over time that has really shifted for me and I also know when I'm going into a business conversation, whether I'm hiring an attorney or uh, I'm hiring a consultant or anything that I'm I'm engaging, I already have an idea of what it costs. So Mm -hmm. I am not going to have that situation. um, Right. Where, where I think, and I think that a lot of times people have an idea they've already maybe shopped around, they know, and they're trying, you know, they're trying to see what you do.
1: Yeah. I, I think that that's where having, I mean, you, the bulk of your work in in selling should be pre-qualifying. And when people I get on web webinars or podcasts, people say, what do you wish you would have known as a young salesperson? Sean, like, I wish I would have pre-qualified a shit ton more than what I did. You yeah, know? I wish yeah. I would have disqualified more than, you know, one of the ways I like in my consulting practice that I really, um, understand early on i say how have you you know tell me how you've tried to solve this problem before because if they've hired a consultant or a trainer before i have an understanding of if i know who that is i know what the ballpark is if they've tried to home grow it i know what that is if they've hired a sales director before i know what that is i know what they've been willing to spend money on um so that's one of my good pre-qualifying questions to say okay Davina. so you know have you have you, if it challenges persisted, tell me about how you've tried to solve a problem before, or, you know, have you ever hired an attorney for X, Y, Z kind of work before, or, you know, what was your experience? But, you know, have you looked at other attorneys? Um, understanding that before you get into the conversation, um, if they haven't, you might want to, you know, do a, have a little bit of different conversation then. And, you know, also too, I don't know so much about this, but if you're having an hour long conversation with someone, you are consulting and advising. Like it should be, I like your, your example where the attorney says, Okay, I'm I'm ready to take you on as a client before we continue having conversation because we're getting into advisory services territory. You know, right. you, you need to what's your max? 15 to 20 minutes, whether you know if this is someone you want to take on or not? Like after yeah. that, it's it's you know, make a decision or <laughs> I, a I do have
0: longer conversations, but mine are um, I'm asking a lot of questions and a lot of information. Uh but generally I have a very good pre-qualifying form for my business and I advise my clients to do the same. And part the purpose of that intake process and having that information is that you want to see first of all, are they willing to fill out a form? If they're not, peace out, right? You know, then they're gonna be doing more work. Right. Uh exactly, because they're not gonna do their part. everybody knows your client needs to do their part. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing is that not only does it give me the information I need to know if somebody is going to be a good prospect, but it also plants seeds for things they hadn't thought about yet. Because there's so much when people are coming into a meeting, a professional meeting, that they don't know about Yes, you know, Certainly, it's the case with legal services. It's the case with you know, consulting services of any kind. People they know but they don't know and there's a lot of things you know because you've gone to law school you got a degree you've been practicing for a number of years and so you can plant seeds that could cause you to um get better answers from them or maybe to upsell services of some kind let's say you got somebody coming in for estate planning if you're asking questions somebody's coming in for a probate for because a parent died you ask them on your intake form do you have estate planning documents? Have you have a power of attorney? Are you, you know, like you're asking things so that not only are you helping with the probate, but then you're helping them with their own estate planning needs, right? So there's all kinds of things and different practice areas, you know, have different, you know, things. There's business law and personal injury and, you know, uh, family law. There's all kinds of practice here, criminal law. And, you know, obviously there are tweaks to each of those. So this is not a, you know, you have to think about your own practice and, Mm -hmm. I my clients to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. But that, that intake process is so important to set you up for success.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's, so we, I would call that, you know, one of the the best and most important pieces of your sales process. Every business needs a sales process and your sales process marries your strategy and your go to market strategy with how you execute. So knowing who you Knowing who you want as clients, what makes a fantastic client, Um, knowing who that is to make sure that you're reflecting who you want to attract is huge. Um, Thinking through the experiences and the touch points, both from you know prospective clients to you know people on retainer and referrals and stuff like that, all that is part of your sales process, building a selling organization. So whether you're a firm of one or a firm of ten or one hundred. there's no more room to have sort of like vertical silos of processes. Your client experience needs to flow across all of them from how you serve them and helping them make decisions to to choose you to how they refer you in the end to other people. Um, It's all, it's all part of the process. Everyone's involved in the process. So think through each each touch point, each customer experience, who do you want as customers, how do you want them to feel? How do they want to feel? All of that makes you it makes selling so much easier and less stressful and right. less negotiation in the end and less objections pushback. All your stress, nearly all of your stress as a business owner, can be reduced with a really strong sales process that delivers a beautiful client experience.
0: Right. Right. And
1: uh, I think
0: that, that if, if people just start and say, I'm going to, I'm going to get really clear on who my client is and I'm going to create a process uh, and a a culture that is a sales culture. And I'm going to take control of the process so that when the person comes in, they know somebody's in. Somebody knows what they're doing, and somebody's right. in charge because they're in an area. If you have somebody hiring a, a lawyer, they're in an area that's you know deep waters for them, right. and they don't right. really know what's lurking underneath. But you know, and yeah. taking and your demeanor from the very first time that you meet someone, and how you take them to that process, and how you address them when they're ready to, you know, when they want to negotiate with you, all that is called. I call it client control. Is mm-hmm. is this is your business and this is your house. Yeah. And these people are guests in your house and you want them to have this awesome experience. Right.
1: <laughs> and, and you want, you want who you invite. Like you want to be real specific about those guests in your house. You don't want right. to in your house. You, you are not Walmart. You don't have the budget to advertise blah, nothingness like Walmart. You don't have, you're not a one-stop shop. And let me ask you this. When was the last time you could even define the experience other than awful that you had at a Walmart? <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get i'm not Monday, i'm
0: right? not a walmart shopper but nothing against people who shop at walmart i no, just not. i'm not because of my my husband's uh, f- uh politics and his belief about how walmart is leading to the destruction of the small american business person <laughs> so that's yeah. my that's why we don't shop at walmart um yeah. all right well sean thanks so much i know i've kept you for a long time today but you know i love to talk about sales and i love to talk with you about sales because i always learn something and it's always so much fun so thanks so much for being here today and sharing with us. And I'm sure everybody's going to walk away from this experience with a gold, at least a gold nugget, but hopefully several gold nuggets. Yeah. Tell us welcome. how we, tell us how we can find you and find out more about you. And if there's any sort of, you know, trainings or, you know, I've got, you've got an awesome YouTube channel. I know. So any trainings you have that you want to share?
1: So uh, the selling is is uh, easiest way to find me. That's our website. Um, And there is so much content there about a lot of the stuff we've talked about today. I'm like, I know do a really good job with my content when my email goes out Monday morning and people respond with, were you, were you literally sitting in my meeting? Did you know that that just happened? Did you know? Because that's what I write about is is the day-to-day stuff in business and in sales meetings. And even if it's talking about sales teams and stuff like that, it's still, really applicable because I write and, and train coach from the point of view of coaching humans, how to sell to other humans at the very heart of this is you have to care. You have to show up and give a shit and and treat other people with, you know, with dignity and serve them in that way. So know that there's a ton of valuable content for you there. Um, and sign up for my email every Monday morning. You get an email from me, uh, come find me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. Just Google me. Sean Carroll, Sandy, Uh, just Google me. I would love to connect with you and your audience. Um, And, you know, if you have specific questions, let me know. Um, You know, most of my training is with businesses, building, selling organizations and sales teams. I don't do a lot of virtual and online stuff. Um, That's not well suited for my personality. Uh, and, yeah. and you know that's so hot and popular. I, all my colleagues are doing that, but I just know me, and I want to put my hands on you and grab and sh- shake it, <laughs> you and shake you. You want to
0: go into the organization and see yeah. all the
1: dirt in the corners of yeah. the skeletons in the closet yeah. and everything. Yeah, because yeah. that's what people need. That's how we get specific. Um, yeah. So yeah. reach out. If you know Davina, you've yeah. got great content and great courses. But if if you want help building an experience for your clients, if you want to help build that and and teach people in your organization how to get them on board with the you know part of the the sales um building the selling uh, organization just drop me a line i'm e- like i said easy to find my yeah. email contact form sks at the selling agency like i'm down right for
0: it. love great love great. What great and that's an awesome uh for uh attorneys who have clients who are business people that's a great this is a great uh referral that you can put in your back pocket for those folks. I know a lot of business attorneys um, love to be able to refer people to people who can help their clients and be that source and that go-to. So a yes. uh, of reasons. And of course your newsletter is awesome. I love it.
1: Uh, <laughs> I have newsletter envy.
0: So, all right, my dear, thank you so much. I really appreciate
1: it. Oh, thank you for having me on and such a great conversation. You deliver so much value to you know anyone who listens and, and encounters you. I'm so proud of how how much you've figured out and how dialed in you are to the specific people you serve with your business from you know that conversation at that little airbnb many years ago many many years ago yeah come along my baby no
0: kidding right thanks so much we hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the wealthy woman lawyer podcast if you have we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform the more five-star reviews we have the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the league in the coming year, including the exclusive million dollar law firm framework that until now I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the League.